0: to the Damascus Road Podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. People can do incredible things, and they can fail spectacularly attempting to do incredible things. Now, I never attempt amazing physical feats worthy of YouTube, so I avoid both the glory and the shame, but I do enjoy watching videos like this from time to time, and I confess that it is not because of the amazing feats that people can accomplish. It's the fails. I often find them... Totally hilarious. As long as somebody is not really hurt, like maimed for life or anything, I laugh a lot. I was chuckling while we were showing that video. Um, for some reason, the physical comedy always cracks me up. Now there was a period when my nephew Zane would sneak up on adult men at church and knock them in their man bits. And as long as it wasn't me, it was pretty hilarious. I'm probably not a great uncle. Now I have Aiden, my son, second son, who is a walking physical comedy routine. The poor kid is always running into something. Anything with a corner is a danger to him. Any chair he sits on could dump him on the ground. Any door open or closed can leave him flat on his back. Stairs, forget about it. He's often so sad that he fell or hit his head or hurt himself again that it's not as funny as it might be for other people. My sweet boy is hurt just like he was 15 minutes ago. The comedy and compassion fatigue sometimes overwhelm my ability to comfort. Don't worry, I'll add improving my fathering to the list of being a better uncle. Now I admit that it's not ideal to find other people's pain funny. I'm not really happy that they failed spectacularly, but I suppose I'm not like sad either it can brighten my day a little bit. So I suppose I'm probably on the wrong side of joy or mourning in this area. Now I certainly am on the wrong side when it comes to the St. Louis Cardinals. As a long time Chicago Cubs fan, when the St. Louis baseball team experiences misfortune, I often rejoice. Losing a game due to a triple play, or wandering off a third base too far, or a ball getting stuck to your chest protector because there's so much illegal substance on it, Delightful, And that's all just one player. Future Hall of Fame catcher Yadier Molina. Comedy gold, I tell you. Executives getting caught cheating? Serves them right. Injuries to key players and prospects? Well, I wouldn't say I exactly rejoice because that would make me a monster. I secretly think, well, that'll make the Cubs victory a little bit easier. The Cubs blog, I read, it consistently posts whenever these sorts of things happen and they tag them Skardenfreude. This is a play on the German word schadenfreude that describes an emotion we experience but there's no simple term for it in English. In fact, early in the development of Disney Pixar's Inside Out, they were toying with including a character that would have made this term much more well-known in America. Here's a short clip that shows some of the emotions you may recognize from the movie and a couple you may not. Everyone, Preston has arrived. The day can now begin. Oh, Joy, I noticed nobody applauded when I entered the room like I requested. Did you not remind everyone? Well, I was just about to, but then Ira went on a tirade about how much better he is at cleaning than you are. Ha, the blowhard! Nobody cleans better than Preston! You hear me, Ira? Nobody! Shut up! Hey, hey! everybody, I have an announcement. What is it, Freddy? Just wanted everyone to know that I'm not worried at all. Freddy, what could you possibly be worried about already? Nothing, nothing at all. There's nothing to worry about. Good. You've got two minutes to stand there and not worry until Riley wakes up. Two minutes. I'm not ready. Right, knock it off. Freddie, are you okay? Uh, Any work for us today, Joy? We'll call you if anything comes up. Is that okay with you, Unley? Oh, I can't wait to see what you have planned today, Joy. I hope it's fun. What are you doing? Just making room for all the new memories we're going to make today. Oh, Would someone get that unicorn out of here? Schadenfreude and ennui, the two great European terms we experience but can't quite name in English. Ennui is a French term meaning dissatisfaction or weariness or boredom, while schadenfreude is joy at others' pain. Ennui may be worth addressing in another message because it can certainly trick us up, and we are made for hope and purpose, not complete disinterest and despair. But it's schadenfreude that is the focus today. What, What did he say? Your cries of pain amuse me. While we may do this in small ways, like laughing when someone falls or fails, it's easy to dismiss this in ourselves as, at most, a minor character flaw and, at best, good humor. But this can become a huge relational and emotional problem. When our friends and family members are hurting, when life has thrown them an unexpected curveball, when they've lost the job, failed the class, had the fight, gotten the diagnosis, or even smaller things like disappointed those they care about, seen a small fraction of their brokenness that they can't ignore, yelled at their kids, gestured rudely at the driver that they cut off, or that cut them off, or just internally judged them. When this happens, if we respond with joy to their pain, we won't have friends much longer. The opposite is also our problem. When our friends are celebrating the joys of life, the clean bill of health, the new job, the positive review at work, the kids' growth and success, the good grade, even just the recent triumph at the kitchen or the movie they enjoyed or the book they loved, and instead of celebrating with them, you rain on their parade, that friendship can fade fast. If we don't share the joy, if we don't share the pain, if we don't have empathy and compassion, celebrate and rejoice with others, it will destroy relationships or keep them from ever happening in the first place. No one wants to spend time with someone who rejoices in our misfortune or is pained by our successes. And if I'm honest, it seems like there's been a lot of that going on in our country right now. Instead of moving us closer to each other, this area is driving us further apart. We're not living in life-giving community. We're not deepening relationships. And if we aren't careful, it just deepens divides. This is certainly not the way of Jesus and the life of loving God and others that we're invited into. Is there a better way? Is there a path to intimacy and relationship that can heal the heart and multiply joy? There is. It's simple and beautiful. It's the key to intimate relationships. If we can master just this one thing, we will never lack for friendship. If we fail at it, we will always be alone. The principle is simple to understand, but hard to live by. Kids can get it, but many adults still struggle to do it. It's core to parenting well and for the flourishing of children. It's found in the Bible in Paul's letter to the church to Rome, or church in Rome, I'm sorry. He encourages them and us today saying, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Sounds simple, right? Happiness and sadness, two of the core emotions we experience, and they are made to be shared with each other. Long before we can name our emotions or learn to express them in words, we share the experience with others. When my one-year-old daughter, Catherine, is trying a new food, her feelings about the food are quite apparent. It's not just that she will eat the food or ignore it, it's the faces that she makes, expressions that she has not learned from us, they're innate expressions of joy. She wiggles, her eyes widen, small little smiles or grunts of joy as she eats, reaching for more, and then there's disgust. She moves back, her eyes narrow, her mouth twists, her tongue sticks out, spitting occurs, and it's vital that you learn these cues not only so that your child can eat, but so that you can avoid being bathed in their unwanted food over and over and over again. This is something I'm still working on. Now Aiden and Roland, my two boys, love their little sister so much, and she always wants to play with them, but they aren't always gentle with her. A couple of days ago, while they were building houses out of couch cushions, there were some confusing noises coming from the area. I wasn't sure if it was joy or sadness or something in between, but Megan knew it was probably her mother's intuition. Or it was that she could see that Aiden was gleefully sitting on Catherine. So Aiden promptly headed to timeout, a bit bewildered that he would be punished for including his sister in his play so well, and Megan scooped up Catherine, and she held her close, and she soothed her with her voice, and she communicated that she felt Catherine's pain. Her eyes said, I understand. Her arms said, you are loved. Her voice said, you are safe. And Megan felt Catherine's pain. She said with her whole being, I'm with you in this. I'm here. I will protect you. It's going to be okay but it's not just calming or of distress that happens when a parent comforts a child, as author and pastor John Ortberg tells us. Something amazing and miraculous happens physiologically. The baby's brain changes a little and he or she calms down just a little. It's as if the mother has taken some of the baby's sorrow upon herself and in the process has given the baby a little bit of the mother's peace. Children, as you may know, come out of the womb crying. If there's not a cry quickly after birth, there's cause for concern. But what they don't do right away is smile. Initially, smiles are primarily at the joy of passing gas. But there is something wondrous about the stage when children can smile at you. The baby can finally see far enough to recognize your face and look at you and express their joy in a smile that's meant just for you. And when a baby smiles, we can't help but smile back. Their joy becomes our joy. We talk to them in funny baby voices because we're so excited. It's the same sort of process that happens when parents respond to their child's cries, but it's much more fun. The baby smiles and we respond and the child knows they are understood. And that's how we develop and grow and love day by day, year by year. We share our joy and we share our sorrow with each other. When we share our joy and our pain, relationships are formed, intimacy is developed, joy is multiplied and pain is diminished. It's not just vital for babies, it's vital for us all. This attunement to each other, sharing the joy, sharing the pain, and being understood and empathized with, feeling felt creates connections with each other. When we feel felt by others, it is food for our souls, strength for the journey, encouragement to continue through the sometimes wonderful and sometimes terrible life, knowing that we're not alone. For people to feel felt, there has to be understanding and care if you understand what i'm going through but you don't care i'm alone in my emotions if you care about me but you don't understand what i'm going through your ability to walk with me through the challenge and joy is small but when you understand my situation and emotions when you offer comfort and presence and help deep bonds are formed When we share our joy and our pain, relationships are formed. Intimacy is developed, joy is multiplied, and pain is diminished. Or we could ignore the counsel of Paul in the Bible and instead break bonds and fracture relationships. When we mourn when someone else is rejoicing, we reveal disorder in our hearts, discontentment, disappointment, jealousy. One of my great joys in life is teaching. I love to make the teaching in the way of Jesus come alive for people, but I don't love it so much that I'm unwilling to share the joy. Over the years, we've trained numerous people to teach the word of God with integrity, creativity, and skill, and I'm pretty sure some of the people that I have trained are better at it than I am. We have some really incredible teachers in our community, and one of them is my wife, Megan. Two summers ago, Tyler, who's on staff with us, was on the planning team for Missions Doors biannual campus staff conference. Tyler was helping select the teachers who were going to help us grow in oneness with God, with each other, and ourselves. And who did he ask to speak on emotional health? Megan. And she was awesome. Awesome. People sent her notes afterwards about how impactful her teaching was. They bought her souvenirs that related to her primary metaphor of caramelizing onions. When the Mission Store financial team returned to the home office and gave my father the review of the time, they said, Ryan, he did a great job with his vision and direction talk. And the other staff that were there were good as well. But your daughter-in-law, Megan, she was incredible. I have a friend or two of mine who always remind me that Megan is their favorite Miller. There's a good chance that she's your favorite Miller. She's certainly mine. And when this occurs, something happens inside of me and it reveals a little bit of my heart. Am I hurt? Am I defensive? Do I think to myself, I would have done better or Megan wasn't that great or I can think of numerous things that she could have done better? Or do I celebrate with the people who tell me that my wife did great? Do I agree joyfully that she was awesome when she spoke, that she has great gifts that she uses faithfully in ministry and life? Do I celebrate her success? When I celebrate, our bond is deepened. When I grumble, it can start to fall apart. So let me pause for a moment here and encourage you to consider your heart. When you hear about a friend's success, are you able to celebrate with them? When someone else gets a promotion, takes that vacation, is expecting a child, is living freely and lightly in a way that you wish you were, does something icky rear its head inside of you? Now, is it possible that I'm being put off by how they are sharing the joy with me, Are they celebrating something that I don't think is worth celebrating? Is there a bit of a humble brag in their joy? Maybe, but I don't have any control over them. What I control is my heart and my response. If you struggle to share the joy of others, I encourage you not to push the jealousy or concern away, but to dig deeper into those emotions. What's happening inside of me Am I disconnect? Discontent? Am I jealous? Do I wish I didn't have to do certain things or wish I was able to do others? This is a bit of what happened with Mary and Martha in Luke 10 There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha was bitter that she was working while her sister enjoyed the presence of Jesus. She wished she didn't have to do all the tasks, and perhaps was even jealous of the choice that Mary made, that she didn't feel free to make herself. And so she complained to Jesus. And the truth is, Jesus will hear our complaints when we bring them to him, but he will often redirect our hearts to love and to what truly matters instead of allowing us to wallow in our discontent and frustration, just like he did with Martha. And after that, Martha had a choice to make. She could spend time reflecting on the reason she was so upset. She could express her expectations to Mary and resolve any unresolved conflict, She could choose to sit at Jesus' feet next time just like Mary did. She could choose to prioritize relationships. She could choose to be content and joyful as she made good food and provided hospitality for good friends because that's good and beautiful too. She could celebrate Mary's time with Jesus or she could let the discontent and bitterness eat at her soul and her relationships stealing her joy. The book of Proverbs warns us against the opposite problem. Rejoicing when someone else fails or is hurting. Even if it's someone you don't care for saying this, do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. When we do this, we reveal a different disorder in our hearts, selfishness, competitiveness, a scarcity mindset, a misunderstanding of love, and true joy. If we find ourselves here, we need to pray and seek God's help to deepen our love, to soften our hearts, and forgive the ways that we break the bonds of relationships with God and others. We need to learn to mourn with those who mourn. And the truth is that's really hard. People who are mourning aren't always easy to be around. We struggle to share the pain, to find the words, to fight off our internal need to be productive and busy and make space just to be with people who are in pain. I know that I do. Last week in his message, Tyler encouraged us to read C.S. Lewis's reflection on the death of his wife, A Grief Observed, it's called. And I've been doing that. Lewis captures some of the reality of grieving and my experience with grief in this passage. I not only live each endless day in grief, but live each day thinking about living each day in grief. An odd byproduct of my loss is that I'm aware of being an embarrassment to everyone I meet. At work, at the club, in the street, I see people as they approach me trying to make up their minds whether they'll say something about it or not. I hate it if they do and if they don't. Perhaps the bereaved ought to be isolated in special settlements like lepers. When I was grieving the death of my first marriage, I often felt Like Lewis, life was painful and I had to find ways to take my mind off of the pain or it would overwhelm me. When I saw others who knew what was happening, who understood and cared, I didn't want to burden them. I wanted to be light and joyful to be around. I know that joy is contagious and that's a gift I wanted to give to others, but I couldn't. What I needed, what Lewis needed was people to understand and to care, to enter into the danger of someone's challenging moments and be present, even if it's hard. The first session I had with a counselor during my divorce, all I did was cry. I needed someone to share my sorrow. Crying is one of the best things for your soul when you are grieving, and it's one of the best things for relationships as well, because it shows that you are vulnerable. It communicates your sorrow, and it invites others to respond. While Charles Darwin once described tears as purposeless, Ad Wingerhootz, a professor at Tilburg University in the Netherlands, and the world's foremost expert on crying tells us instead, we cry because we need other people. Your tears, invite intimacy I remember walking through the third level of the student union on campus there was only one other person around I was on my way to a meeting but as I got closer to the girl who was sitting against the wall I could hear that she was sobbing and it was an ugly cry and I didn't know what to do I didn't know her I didn't know her pain but her tears were inviting intimacy. They were showing that she was hurting and vulnerable. They revealed that she needed someone. And so I stopped and I walked towards her. And as soon as she noticed me, she stopped crying and tried to pretend that everything was normal because that's what we do but I was undeterred and I asked her, are you okay? Because I don't know what, I mean, she's clearly not okay. Are you okay? And she said, oh yeah, 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 I'm fine as she wiped away her tears. And I paused and I almost turned away but I felt a small prompting and instead I said, I don't know you and I don't know what's causing your pain but you are loved beyond your ability to comprehend. You are not alone. Now, my ability to understand was limited, but I could offer a small amount of care in that moment. And I know that even that small moment of connection and encouragement of me sharing her pain lessened her hurt. Because when we share our joy and our pain, relationships are formed, intimacy is developed, joy is multiplied, and pain is diminished. When Paul commands us to mourn with those who mourn, Ortberg reminds us what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, give advice to those who mourn. He doesn't say, remind those who mourn that they are supposed to triumph through the resurrection, so their sadness must indicate a lack of faith. He doesn't say, explain to those who mourn that God always has a good reason for whatever happens, and so they should just trust him. He doesn't say, fix those who mourn. Because we often don't know what to say, we can fall back on cliches or offer empty comfort. Let me encourage you to follow the example of Job's friends in this one area. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes. They threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. For a solid week, Job's friends sat with him in his grief. They didn't speak. They mourned, they entered into his pain. They sat Shiva with him and they shared his sorrow. In spite of their poor advice and wrong thinking throughout the rest of Job, this they got right. So don't worry so much about what to say. Your presence is a comfort, your hug, your empathy, your tears, your service. Just be with people. What you say is far less important than that you're there. I know that it's hard and uncomfortable, but it gets easier with practice. So enter into the uncomfortable moments to truly be with others when they need someone to help them shoulder their burdens. In his letter to the church in Galatia, Paul tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And pain and sadness is one of those burdens. As Tyler shared Ortberg's words with us last week, when we mourn with others, we share the burden of their sorrow. Nothing has changed. Nothing has been fixed. No problem has been solved except this. They are no longer alone in their mourning. And that changes everything. When we share our joy and our pain, relationships are formed, intimacy is developed, joy is multiplied, and pain is diminished. I have many close friends who have experienced the pain of miscarriage and a few that have had stillbirths and that pain is devastating. I don't know what that pain is like, but I can imagine. It would be not having the joy of knowing and loving my children Roland, Aiden and Catherine, of seeing my hopes and dreams and preparations for this new child dashed before they had the moment to bloom. The loss is hard to describe. And your friends may not be able to describe it to you, but imagine what it might be like. Enter into their world, enter into their story and share their sorrow. People have the amazing ability to discern the emotional states of others, even when there are no words spoken. And you are people. You can do it. You can enter into their emotional world. It is the miracle of being made in the image of God. And it helps us connect deeply with each other. And when they're ready, when your friends who are mourning are ready to talk, listen to them. Not just with words, but listen to the emotions. See the body language, because this produces connection and it communicates care. It's always okay to say you're sorry. It's okay to cry with them. It's okay to make God's love tangible to them with a touch or a hug. If you'd like some guidance on what might be helpful, one of my dear friends who lost a child shared a post about what was helpful to them. They're missionaries in India and I've linked to the document and I encourage you to read it if you'd like some guidance. It should be in the uh, the Bible app, which you can follow along in or on the live stream. Um, save that document as you comfort your friends who are mourning and remind yourself what can be helpful to people in challenge. Now for many of us, we need to not only learn to be with others when they are in pain, we need to learn to share our pain with others. No one is a mind reader. Even if your friend is particularly perceptive, it can be hard to ask what's going on. We need to find people that we trust enough to share our pain with, to cry in front of revealing that we need them, that we're in pain and invite them into our sorrow. We are not meant to carry the burden alone. One of the hardest things about my divorce was agreeing not to talk to anyone who knew me well about what was happening. I spent months not talking to family and my closest friends. I had to share with people I hardly knew or a complete stranger like my counselor because I wasn't going to my normal support system. It was the hardest period of my life and while those that I talked to were great help, they weren't my closest friends and family. I implore you, Do not make the same mistake. I know that it's hard, but it gets easier with practice. So I want to challenge you this week. Share your sorrow with someone so they can mourn with you. It can be small or it can be big, but I guarantee you sharing will help. And when we find people who are safe to mourn with, they know that we will be safe to mourn with them as well. Because when we share our joy and pain, relationships are deepened. Intimacy is revealed. Joy is multiplied and pain is diminished. Two Mondays ago we were having our normal creative planning team meeting and I glanced to my right and saw Catherine walking to Megan for the first time. She'd taken just two steps the day before, but today she was walking. And I grabbed my computer and I tried to position the camera so my friends could see it, and I shared my joy with Tyler and Megan and Devin, and they got to celebrate this milestone with us while it was happening. So here's a short video of that moment so you can share our joy as well. Uh. So, you know, like, things like that, like, literally, oh. a I don't know. So, Catherine took <laughs> like, her big, first know, two steps you know, to yesterday, and, like, now, she's walking. So yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> and like hard. Catherine is <laughs> one year know, old. Season. Um, to deal with the oh, you're such life. a big girl. Oh, look at you. Right, I, I you, yeah, so I Hi. Oh, you're so he's, uh, Yeah, he's a college. Yeah, he's he a so uh, both called, which is in Castle Rock. Like we, uh, a, hi. Oh, big walking girl.
1: They, they were great until big like two weeks ago. girl.
0: The COVID, like year, yeah, the they're so It was a small moment you could hear i was talking because i was still in meetings it was a small moment but it was a huge moment and our friends were awesome at celebrating this milestone with us we shared our joy and the joy was contagious it multiplied when we share our joy and our pain relationships are formed intimacy is developed joy is multiplied and pain is diminished I encourage you to share your joy with someone this week so they can rejoice with you. Remember what Megan taught us two weeks ago, joy inherently overflows. It's contagious, infectious, and not only improves our lives, but the lives of others. A scientific study in psychology today found that joyful people today are more compassionate. They're more financially generous. They have more and deeper friendships. They're more likely to stay married. They have more, they're more resilient in hardship. They have greater vitality and zest for life. The prophet Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this is not just a metaphor. It's literally physically true. Where joy increases, compassion increases, relationships deepen, hardship is more easily weathered and life is lived with more energy and vigor. Do not miss the chance to share your joy and don't overlook the opportunity to celebrate when others are celebrating. It's better for all of us. As you go about your lives this week at work or in class, over Zoom or at home or when picking up your groceries or sharing a Thanksgiving dinner, notice the people around you. Listen to the words that they're saying to their energy, to their facial expressions. When you see someone who is smiling more, who is talking more than normal, whose outlook seems rosier, celebrate with them, comment on their joy, encourage them, joke with them. That's connecting and it builds relationships and intimacy when you see someone that's quieter than normal who's more withdrawn his eyes are downcast maybe even mysteriously wet in spite of the lack of rain pause and show empathy express care listen mourn connect just one person noticing makes it easier to shoulder our sorrows and it could make all the difference in the world When we share our joy and our pain, relationships are formed, intimacy is developed, joy is multiplied, and pain is diminished. The same conversation where I shared the joy of Catherine's first steps. Uh, In fact, if you have good ears, you could actually hear me sharing this. During that video, I also shared with Tyler, Megan and Devin that my maternal grandfather had caught COVID from his roommate at the skilled nursing facility and rehab uh, center he was staying in. Brookside Inn was COVID free for months. And then at the end of October, it found its way in and has decimated the community. I told my friends about it on the night of Monday the 9th and he died early in the morning on Wednesday the 11th. I'm thankful that I was able to talk to him on the phone the Saturday before he died. He couldn't talk to me, but I could talk to him. I'm thankful for his legacy of faith, for the sacrificial love he had for his family, and the way that he cared for others so well. And I'm especially thankful to my friends and family who know and have expressed understanding and care. Yesterday, a small group of family and friends gathered graveside to remember his life and the hope that we have in Jesus. And not only do I have hope and peace knowing that my grandfather is with his Lord and Savior, along with my grandmother and my mother, I know that God mourns with me as well. Psalm 56 tells us, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. God knows and God cares. He mourns with us and he celebrates with us and he invites us to do the same with him. Which may seem a little weird, but let me explain. In Matthew eleven sixteen 16 to 17, Jesus uses an illustration to describe how people responded to him in his ministry and the invitation he made to them and he makes us still today. He said, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Jesus invites us to mourn with him over the brokenness of the world and to celebrate the great joys and wonderful gifts he's given us. Many of the prophets, all the way up to John the Baptist, who paved the way for Jesus, sang the songs of mourning. They sang the dirge over the injustice and brokenness of the world. But the people didn't mourn, and they didn't change. Jesus, on the other hand, was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he went to parties with people who were outside of the religious establishment who were known sinners. He changed water into wine at a wedding, revealing his glory for the first time. He told people to imagine his coming kingdom as a wedding feast. He talked about a father who ran to his son who had turned away from him and then threw a party after the prodigal son had come home. He told a story about a widow who shared her joy at finding a single lost coin with all of her neighbors. Jesus directed our hearts to hope and love and joy. He played the pipes for us, but we wouldn't dance. People would not rejoice when he rejoiced. But that does not have to be our story. We can rejoice and mourn with God even as God rejoices and mourns with us and we can do it with each other. When we share our joy and our pain, relationships are formed, intimacy is developed, joy is multiplied and pain is diminished. Rejoicing with God doesn't mean trying to make ourselves happy over a Bible verse or a church service. It's about taking something that we're naturally happy about and remembering that whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father and thanking him for that gift. This year, my family started a new Thanksgiving tradition. We have a large monthly calendar on the wall in our kitchen and every morning in November we sit around the kitchen table sharing our breakfast and we each think of something for which we are genuinely grateful. My eldest son Roland says he's thankful for caves. He's never been to a cave or seen one in real life but he's thankful for them. I'm thankful for my brother-in-law, Josh, who is building a door for our furnace in the garage. My baby daughter, Catherine, is thankful for milk. She's pretty much always thankful for milk. We don't have to ask her, and she couldn't tell us with words if she wanted to, but we know milk is the best. My middle son, Aiden, is thankful for the three little pigs and the big bad wolf, and my wife, Megan, is thankful for sweater weather, which in Tucson is like a drop down to 60 degrees. And we share... And then we take these small leaves that Megan cut out for us and we draw a picture of what we're thankful for on them. Or really like Megan draws the picture because she's like way better at that. Um, and then we put them on the calendar over the days that we've already enjoyed together. All throughout the month of November, God's blessings are right in front of our eyes. Each time we walk into the kitchen, each time we get frustrated with the garbage disposal not working, each time we gather to have breakfast. And the truth is, God's blessings are always right in front of our eyes. This day, this hot running water that we can wash our hands with, this dirty handprint on the wall that I wish my children had washed their hands before they touched the wall, this gift of food, this full belly, this couch to cuddle on, this light to see by, these working lungs breathing in and out, in and out, this incredible system of muscles and vocal cords and signals from my brain that enable me to speak. God is so good. And the glimpses of his goodness are woven into the fabric of our lives all around if we just have the eyes to see and the hearts ready to say thank you. So I invite you this week to stop. I invite you to notice. I invite you to frame your day as you have enjoyed the gift. Write down God's blessings, put them up on the wall, write them on your mirror so that when your heart grows weary, God's reminders of his love and goodness are staring you in the face. Our wall calendar with its little leaves is a small way for us to express gratitude to God for the good gifts that he's given us and help us reorient our hearts over and over to gratitude because there is so much to be thankful for and gratitude leads to joy and joy is even better when we share it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, sometimes it's easy to share joy but it's hard to share our sorrow. Help us to take the risks to share the emotions with the right people with the people who care about us, who can understand us and offer comfort. Help us to find the people who celebrate when we celebrate and help all of us to become the people who are getting better and better at mourning with our friends who are struggling and and celebrating with great joy those who are celebrating around us, Lord. We admit and we confess that our hearts need to be remade. We ask you to replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh that respond with your love to those around us, Lord. Thank you that you join us in our pain, that you love us, that you celebrate with us and you invite us to do the same, not only with others, but with you as well. May we mourn over the brokenness of the world. May we celebrate and be thankful for all that there is that we are grateful for because every good and perfect gift is coming down from the father of heavenly lights in whom there are no shadows. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us. May we fix our eyes on your son, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith and choose gratitude and joy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at damascusroadtucson.com.